People around him have kind of figured out what's been going on. If you read earlier in Luke's gospel, they get a sense that God is up to something, but they don't know what yet. His wife, Elizabeth, same kind of deal. And Elizabeth responds to what happens to her husband by going into five months of seclusion. She goes into her own kind of COVID lockdown for five months after Zechariah gets back from the temple and is unable to speak. And we're going to talk about why and what she's doing in the next section. But make no mistake, Zechariah is not in a good place. He's in a difficult spot, and he is on this journey from his despair toward the joy that God has for him. And I just want to say just like a word of comfort. If you are in that place right now, if you are in a space where you are experiencing pain or anger, even anger with God, you are in good company. There are people throughout the scriptures, Zechariah is one of them, who can relate to where you're at. Or maybe there's a relative that you love deeply and they're just, they're torn up by something inside and you can't figure it out. Know that God has a pathway for them and a pathway for you. Now, we need to transition uh, to the next section and talk about solitude. And solitude enters into this text, into this family, actually, several different ways. Elizabeth experiences solitude. Zechariah experiences solitude. John, their son, even experiences solitude, all within today's text. So look at this with me. This is Luke 1, 24 through 25. So Zechariah has been struck silence, okay, and this is catching us up to that moment. After those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is her reflecting on why she's in seclusion, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Key preposition is right here. What the Lord has done for me. Not, this is what the Lord has done to me. Isn't that just such a key turning of the phrase? The Lord's doing this to me. He's acting out against me. No, the Lord has done this for me. And what's she talking about? She's talking about the birth of a child, but we know this from the text. Elizabeth comes from a line, a tradition of priests. She was of the tribe of Aaron. She would have not just looked at this as like, oh great, I get to have a baby, like thank God. No, she would have seen this for what it is. It is the breaking of 400 years of silence. It is God stepping back into the life of Israel as they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We sang about this earlier, come, come, Emmanuel. She knows what's happening here. She's able to zoom back to 30,000 feet because of her faithfulness, because of how devoted she is to God, and she can see what's happening here. That God is lifting this cloud of silence, not off of her husband necessarily, but off of the people of Israel. And so she responds, I think, with delight. Like, these words here, they kind of sound, you know, antiseptic in a way. These are words that are born out of joy. Because she wants to go off and praise God for what God has done. She wants to give God thanks because God has not done something to her. God has done something for her. Have you ever gotten that mixed up? Where you've been in the midst of something and you're going, why is God doing this to me? Man, what if we took Elizabeth's perspective? What if we said, you know what, God is doing this for me. Yes, this is a hard season in work, or yes, my marriage is struggling, or we're having a hard time with some medical issues. It's not God doing it to you. It is God providing a pathway for you to understand his goodness, to understand his grace, to meet with him in a deeper and more powerful way. Now, Elizabeth's an elderly woman, and she's getting pregnant. She is pregnant, so she is growing the life of a child inside of her. She secludes herself for five months. 
I have known a lot of elderly couples in my ministry, and it is hard when you've been married for a really long time to experience a time of separation. You lose touch with each other. You lose those routines. In this setting, maybe Elizabeth's just kind of in one room of their house and Zechariah's in the other room, and they just don't see each other a lot. Maybe she goes and lives with another relative for a little while. We don't really know. But in her five months of solitude, I believe God is welling up a deep joy inside of her. Somewhere along that continuum, she meets up with Mary, her uh, sister-in-law. Mary is also pregnant. They share notes about how they both experienced something powerful given to them by God. The text tells us that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe this is not a Debbie Downer time for her. This is a time for her to rejoice. Her solitude leads to joy. Would you seek solitude that might lead you to joy? Maybe you're like, I got too much solitude in my life, man. I don't want any more of that. Well, have you been searching for joy in that? Because Elizabeth does. Zechariah, on the other hand, to talk about how solitude plays out for him, he is isolated from something that is very painful, particularly for men. Zechariah is not going to work. During the time of his wife's solitude, he's not interacting with her. They're not in their usual routines. They're not able to kind of interact and support one another. That's a challenge no matter how old you are. But because Zechariah is mute and deaf, he's temporarily disabled. He doesn't have what he needs to offer the people as a priest. A priest needed to be able to pray with other people. A priest needed to be able to hear the cries of others and to respond to it. A priest needed to be able to use his voice to read Scripture and to pray and to worship God in the temple. Zechariah can do none of those things. So he's furloughed. He's not going to work. And he is, in some ways, at the perfect moment in his career, if you will, to be doing all these things. He's an older priest. He's able to lead. He's got a ton of stature with his colleagues. But he's stuck. He can't get out. If you've ever had an injury that limited your abilities, you can understand. Yeah, I can't really use my right hand right now. You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to write and type and send messages, but I can't. Maybe you've had some type of major injury, a catastrophe, like back surgery or some kind of car accident, and you know this feeling of, I'd love to be able to do what I can do, but I can't. That's the emotional space that Zechariah is in through this solitude. And I guarantee you, he's not enjoying the solitude as much as Elizabeth is. John, their son, the Phillips read this for us, the very end of the passage, it says that he lives alone in the wilderness until the time of Jesus. 30 years, 33 years, we think, where between John leaving, in some way, shape, or form, John is waiting for a period of time, maybe as long as that, for the arrival of Jesus. And during that time, he's alone. He's in solitude. And here's my theory about this. If John is who the angel has said he is, he needs that time with the Father to fulfill his mission to fulfill your mission, to fulfill the calling that God has given to you as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a worker, you cannot keep toiling and toiling and toiling out of your own reserves, not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because you've learned that the power of Jesus Christ is the only thing that enables you to fully engage in the relationships with people you love, in the jobs that you have to do. You can kind of do it, you can sort of muddle along, but without dependence on Christ, we are a mess. John is no exception to this rule. This is how the angel described John's mission, his job. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Even before his birth, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. You know what that presumes? Many of them have turned away from the Lord their God. This is a dark time for Israel, and John is going to come in and bring light. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How can you make ready a people prepared for the Lord if you are not with the Lord? If you are not praying and diligently seeking after Him and coming to worship and being a part of a small group and listening to people who disagree with you and doing these things that our world desperately needs, John's mission will be a failure if he does not have this solitude, this time with the Father. And I'll just share this from my own ministry experience. Ministry is hard. It's hard. It requires everything. It does. And in my seasons of discouragement, in my seasons where I just kind of go, God, what are you doing? That's a high sign to me that I need to double down on being with the Father. That's a sign that my heart is craving that solitude, is craving extended time in prayer with the Lord. It's craving worship. Have you experienced that lately? A hunger? A desire? If you're here, if you're online or you're in person, you know what I'm talking about because you wouldn't be here otherwise. You wouldn't. We are hungry for Jesus Christ. We are hungry for him to enter in in the season ahead. We are hungry for him to make 2022 better than 2021 or even 2020. May it be so. If you long for that, if you have something big coming up, if you are working through tremendous issues in your life, let me encourage you to begin with solitude or to make solitude a part of your process. Your preparation, like John's preparation, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, it's not going to be something you trip and fall into. It will be better, more robust, more joyful when you and I rely on the one who rescued us. It will be. Now, we need to talk about community renewal very briefly because as all this is the backdrop, the solitude, this kind of understanding where this is happening, one thing that happens that I believe allows Zechariah to reconnect to his faith, to literally experience renewal in the pages of the text, is that the community around him experiences renewal. This journey, say it with me, it's a journey. How do you get from A to B? It's a journey. He sees what God is doing in his neighbors, and it encourages him. Listen to this. This is 57 and 58. This is the text right before the text that Philip's read for us. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. That's John. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Okay, hold on a sec. There's, this is dripping with irony. The very people who had put that target on Elizabeth and Zechariah's back, the very people who had perpetuated that cultural illusion, that falsehood of God punishing them, Remember? Because they didn't have a kid. God was punishing them. That's what they believed. Nothing biblical about that. They believed that. The very people who one minute are saying to them, ooh, you guys, you got to get right with God. Like, what's going on here? The very next minute, what are they doing? They rejoice with her. They rejoice with her. Now, there's two perspectives on this, and they both have a kernel of truth in them. There's the cynical perspective, and there's the positive perspective. The cynical perspective is this. People are fickle. They, they see the turning of the tide. They see things are changing. They go, oh, I better get on board with what's really happening here, right? This is cable news. The crowd says, oh, you got a baby now? Okay, you're good. You're in the club. 
And the church has perpetuated things like this for a long time. And may it be so that God continues to kind of chip away at our stubborn character and form us in such a way that we no longer do things like this. Living into a cultural falsehood rather than a biblical truth. That's what's happening in the cynical view of things. These people are just jumping on the bandwagon. But I think what's actually happening here is the positive view. And they are so blown away at the sight before them that they just marvel and go, God is up to something. God is truly up to something. And here's the image I want you to think about for a moment. Picture an elderly woman holding a newborn. Not just any newborn, her newborn. She has given life to this child. This is not someone else's baby. This is not her granddaughter or grandson. This is her child. Doesn't that image just kind of break a bunch of molds in our minds? If you've ever had the chance to hold a newborn, it is a powerful and sacred thing. But to see someone who theoretically is beyond their years of having children holding their baby, their neighbors, their friends, the people who came to see them, it breaks up their cynicism, guys. This is where the kingdom breaks through in this moment. Those neighbors of ours, those friends of ours who would be cynical, who would contribute to the pain of these days, who will perpetuate evil things like racism and all the awful stuff that's around us, they need the kingdom of God to break through so that that cynicism, that plaque that is around our hearts, it starts to break down. We need that. I need that. God is really up to something, church, and he is freeing this community. And because he's freeing this community, then Zechariah feels this wind at his back. He feels this sense of like, okay, wait a minute. If all these people who were so cynical, all of a sudden, they're praising God. All of a sudden, they are getting with what God is doing. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? And here's what it means. There's a little bit of a squabble about what to name the baby. And so they, the crowd that's gathered around, the friends and neighbors, they begin motioning to Zechariah to find out what name he wanted to give the baby. Now, there's a bit of ridiculousness to this story because Elizabeth has already said the baby's name. She's not wrong, but nobody believes her. So they turn to the man, and we all know how that goes, right? In this case, it actually goes well. He asked for a writing tablet, an ancient Near Eastern iPad, and he wrote, his name is John. Now, those of you who are kind of frugal with words, you're going, why didn't he just write John? Here's why. He's quoting an angel. He's quoting directly what Gabriel said to him. His name is John. I'm giving your son a name. God is giving your son a name. It is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. This is incredible. And I just want to say very briefly, this is a moment for Zechariah to experience what I believe many of us have experienced, where we have been stripped down, torn down like a house reduced to its studs through pain and suffering and through confusing things happening in our lives. And God in His mercy pours out His healing love, His Holy Spirit upon us, not because we deserved it, but because he's using us, he's filling us, he's renewing us. This is not the only time this happens in the Bible, where there's this stripping down and renewing. This happens to Moses. 
He's born into the halls, or he's adopted into the halls of power. He grows up a son of Pharaoh. He is a ruler. He is a king. And then he commits murder, and he goes on the run, and he is stripped down. He is a nobody wandering in the desert when God encounters him and renews his faith. In the New Testament, Saul, later known as Paul, he is as successful as one could be in the world of religious zeal and near terrorism. He's killing Christians. He's doing great by a lot of metrics. And then he's thrown off his horse. He's knocked down. He's stripped down. He loses all of his power and influence. He actually becomes blind. But God renews his faith. And here's the key to their transformation. And this might be the key to your transformation and mine. It's that line that Zechariah wrote. His name is John. Because you know what he's doing? He's agreeing with what God has said. He's saying, all right, God... (laughs) Enough fighting you. I'm tired of fighting you. Fighting you did not work out. Scoffing at you has cost me my voice and my solitude. This is not going well for me. I agree with you. His name is John. I give up. I'm done fighting. I'm with you. And God and God's mercy restores his faith. It's a journey. And God restores his faith. Three very practical next steps. As you heard me say earlier, go seek some solitude, church. If you're online, if you're in person, go find solitude. Don't do what I do. What I do is, is I tell myself, I need to go find some solitude, and then I don't do anything. If I put it on my calendar, it'll actually happen. Anybody else like that? Put it on your calendar that you are going to go to St. Edward State Park later this week, right up the hill, and you're just going to be by yourself for an hour. You're going to leave your phone in the car, and you're just going to go Listen to the Father. Take your dog over to Big Fin Hill Park and just go on a walk. No agenda. Lord, I'm just here to listen to you. Put it on your calendar. Make it happen. Go seek solitude this week. I believe God could be doing a transformational work in his church if more and more of us would seek solitude. Listen. Be silent before the Father. Secondly, pray for renewal in our community. We saw how renewal starts to break out in the friends and neighbors who were such naysayers, who were so wrapped up in this cultural lie around God's punishment of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then they're set free. Let us pray that a similar freedom would break forth for our neighbors, for our friends, for the people with whom we most passionately disagree about politics and about vaccines and about viruses and about all these things. Pray that God would enter into that and bring his renewal, because only he can. And when he starts to renew a community, people around start to go, wait, 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 hold on, something's happening over here. Even people far from God can recognize the work of God. Pray that God would bring that revival, church, because it will change our cynical hearts and it will change the cynicism of our world. Finally, I want to offer this encouragement, actually not from me, but from C.S. Lewis. If you are in a similar place to Zechariah, before he agrees with God, when you're still in that place of suffering, when you feel like you've been stripped down to the studs, you've lost your influence, you've lost a sense of your voice and your place in the world, it's a disorienting time, whatever it may be, know that you are in a really good place to do God's work. My first couple of years here at Bethany were this mixture of excitement, of of being on this new mission with each of you, and it was a very discouraging time for me in ministry. I felt like I, I couldn't articulate a vision for us. I couldn't get a sense of what God was doing in our community. It was frustrating. 
I felt alone. I felt isolated. I felt like I didn't have confidence in ministry anymore. Like I, I didn't really know what to do in a mobile church in the Pacific Northwest, part of this Bethany family. It was a really, really hard time. And I found comfort in this quote that I'll offer us from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It's so brilliant. Because I believe God does this work in me and in you for his glory. Listen to this. Lewis writes, We are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If a field that contains nothing, if I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. I cannot produce wheat. I cannot renew myself and reinvigorate myself and just kind of do a surfacey remodel. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. That phrase, be plowed up and re-sown. I didn't like it when I read that phrase. I thought, that feels like what I'm going through right now, my first couple of years here. I'm being plowed up. All the things I know that worked in previous contexts for ministry, i got to throw it out. All the confidence that I had in myself as a pastor and as a leader, i got to, God, I need your renewal. I need to be plowed up and re-sown. I hate this. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable and painful for me. But here's where you have me, Lord. Maybe this isn't just a word for you. Maybe it's a word for someone in your life who is being plowed up and re-sown. What if you just come beside them and say, hey, look, I don't want to be pithy about this, but I think God could be up to something in your life. Can I pray with you? Can we walk through this together? Can I be a companion to you in this time? Friends, if you are being plowed up and re-sown, you are in the perfect place for God to use you. So I want to encourage us to talk about this in our breakout groups. you got two questions for you. The first question is the warm-up. Share your name and then describe how you're experiencing this Advent season and your emotions. So just one word. You can explain it a little bit. I'm feeling happy right now. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling like I'm really behind. But you can't use the word tired. Can't say tired. Doesn't count. You can say that you're tired, but you need to have an emotion word. Okay. Second one. Have you experienced, like Zechariah, like me, like others, have you experienced being plowed up and re-sown? When have you been through something like this? And I know this is a deep, vulnerable opportunity here. And take it as you will. If you're like, you know what, I, I don't know if I can weigh in on this this week. I'd like to just listen. That's fine. But I would encourage you to dig deep and share your story of being plowed up and re-sown. And what's one thing that you learned from it or maybe just a hope that you have if you're still in the middle of it Man, I hope God will do this for me. I hope he'll bring about this change as I'm being plowed up and re Let me pray for us, then we'll go to our breakout groups. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge through the life of Zechariah to be receptive, to be open to your plowing up and being re It hurts. It's not easy. It's not what we want. But look at the renewal that you brought to Zechariah. Look at the beautiful song he sang. Look at the way that he knew this child, John, would lead to the Messiah. He knew it and he believed it before he could even see it. 
So God, as you rejoice over each one of us as your sons and daughters, as you treasure us and sing songs over us, would we now come to you and continue to worship you in our breakout groups through these discussions? May our conversation be gracious, seasoned with salt, and filled with your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.